Welcome back to The Deeper Cut, a podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. Thanks again for joining us this week. My name is Tim Pasek. I'm one of the ruling elders at Mercy Hill, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host and our pastor, Phil Henry. Phil, how are you doing this morning? Wonderful, Tim. Good morning. Good morning. It is great to be back again to continue our conversation through First John. Um, it's just been such a pleasure um, since the beginning of the year when we started to get into this little epistle and try to <laughs> make sense of what John is saying and, and wrestle with it. And I'm glad to have a, a partner to go through it with me because, frankly, I must feel like I need a bodyguard at some times from John. <laughs> <laughs> and what better person than our pastor and my fellow elder. So I look uh, forward to our conversation today. I think we might need a little encouragement in that regard. I think so. I think so. <laughs> but I don't want to protect you from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to absolve myself here by any by any stretch. You know, but... the, the joke is uh, the, the preacher is the one that gets paid to keep things calm when a revival breaks out. <laughs> calm down. I've I've seen this before. It happens. It'll pass. Just remain seated. <laughs> Pull out your phones. You have nothing to worry about here. The danger will not overwhelm you. Yeah. Although you have a you have a quick exit in our sanctuary, so you could get out real quick if uh, if things got out of hand. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um. Anyway, for for our listener, if you've been following with us the past several weeks, we've we started a sermon series back at the beginning of the year in First John. We have uh, made our way into the waters of chapter two. And uh, the passage from this week, uh, this this week's sermon was chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, and I'm going to read that in a moment. Um, but I was, I was saying to you, Phil, not long ago that I feel like it's, it's just challenging to have the, this first, the second section in chapter 2 separated, even physically in Sunday to Sunday from the first two verses that you preached on last week, because those two really help support the hearer and the Christian in what John has to say this week, because otherwise it seems I was making some subtle jabs at at uh, the Apostle John and, and his barbs, if you will, mm-hmm. or just his bluntness, um, which is helpful, but could be... A little overwhelming, I think, if if separated from the idea that Christ is our advocate. So, how do you navigate that? Just real quick, we always touch quickly on homiletics, but how how do you navigate that when you know your text is within the context of a previous sermon, but you don't want to re-preach your last week's sermon, right? Right. So the the chapters and the verses have been provided for us by. Uh, scribes and scholars centuries after it was written. And so the the first, I think the first job is to kind of try to ignore those and ascertain the flow of the author's thought. Mm -hmm. But as you've pointed out, John's thought tends to move in irregular ways. Almost at times it almost seems circular and he, he winds up repeating himself quite a bit. So then, um, 
you may have discerned the flow of thought or even if it's a if it's a kind of a circular flow to preach verse by verse as we are through this letter we are going to hit some of these themes again and so i think knowing the end at the beginning mm-hmm. helps quite a bit mm-hmm. because you can see where uh, keeping his commandments is going to come up again. Propitiation is going to, that was last week, it's going to mm-hmm. come up again in chapter four. Uh, love for the brothers is actually next week, but it's every single chapter tends to dwell on that topic. Mm-hmm. And so maybe like a, a jewel that you turn it slightly and you're looking at a different facet of it each time. So, but I think in this case, I knew that the richness of propitiation would have been diminished in in part had I brought in the demands that it that it makes upon us, which was this Sunday. Right. So, you know, Christ our intercessor, Christ our God pleaser, which was the the strong emphasis last week, really does set the stage. But because I made the outline months and months ago. I wasn't sure how it would play out, um, but through you know through my years of study, I I knew propitiation was an important word, so I just kind of had a hunch. Mm-hmm. So I I don't want to uh, you to take this literally, but I do felt like I got lucky in making the break John two one and two, and then verses three through six. It's a little harder to break it at six rather than continue on to eleven. Because there does seem to be three tests in that section, like there were three tests in 1, 6 through 10. Mm. But even there, when we saw that the third negative test and then the third positive test trickled over into 2, 1. Right, we talked about that last week. Yeah. I think you see something similar happening here where, Mm. where... uh, two, three through six, really sets up uh, seven through eleven. So, hmm. uh, no two preachers are the same, and no two churches are the same. And I, I think as long as you're trying to think about what's going to be beneficial to those that are listening, yeah, yeah, that's the key. Hmm. Well, I, I I know I I definitely benefited from. It's it's been a day, not even a full day, but I've benefited from your message <clears throat> uh, this week, and and obviously last week we shared a lot about that on last week's episode. Um, but I, I I also can see the challenge of mm-hmm. the preacher, you know, one with John, and I've I've confessed on this podcast that John is a mystery to me sometimes in his way of thinking, but then even more so when. You know, you have to to preach <clears throat> exegetically through his letter, and mm-hmm. it's not so clear cut. And you know, you're just trying to follow the leading of the spirit and do the be- do the best you can. Um, and I I appreciate you giving the thought to it that that you do. So, um, we well, it's it's a first of all, it's a privilege to preach. It's it's not hard to do something that's such a wonderful mm. uh, privilege. 
commitment. It does take work. I mean, I, I, um, um, but I was reminded in some of my uh, outside reading this week that the most important person you persuade or preach to is yourself. And I'm, I'm always, I'm the first hearer of the sermon. And if it falls flat or boring or feels uninspired, I, I, I can't, you know, there have been many, many a night, Tim, where the leftovers just didn't quite cut the mustard. <laughs> we dumped them in the trash and called out for pizza or something. You've probably done the same thing. We had every intention. That thing was, you know, yep. that lasagna was supposed to have legs for one more night, and it just didn't. So I'm not going to make the kids eat. And that's been a principle for parenting. You know, we, we required our children to eat what we ate really starting um, probably around the age of one. Hmm. Um, once they could handle solid food, we'd, we had a little micro blender. We put the food in the micro blender, and we whipped it up into some form or version of its previous self and tasted it. And if it tasted bad, I mean, have you ever tasted Gerber's peas? No. I. I They're not good. Yeah. This is not, this is not a good thing to give to a child. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about how to teach a child to hate peas. <laughs> give them Gerber peas when they can't complain. <laughs> and in a couple of years, that, those chickens are coming home to roost. Right. So I think preaching, you want to give food that's, that's appealing. Hmm. And so... I lost my train of thought there yeah, somewhere, that's but that's yeah. that's some homiletics. Yeah, no, that that's helpful. I always love this little section of our uh, of our morning conversation about the deeper cut, getting into the homiletics. Maybe it's just because I'm a little nerdy in that regard, but it's fun to to be able to <clears throat> kind of have a one on one with the pastor, if mm -hmm. you will, and, and ask some questions that. We probably, uh, they're not super high priority questions. They're not like, Ooh, let me, let me understand the passage better per se. I know we're getting to that, but, um, it is really helpful for me as a churchman to remember that you are a pre, you know, you're a preacher and there's skill there. There's gifting that God has given to you. There's a calling, there's hard work that goes in and I get to see that more than a lot of people get to see, um, and so I, I appreciate just peeling back one layer of that sure. and, and looking at that. So. And, and speaking of persuasion, you know someone's persuaded if they do it. Hmm. And this that I, I offer that as a little bit of a segue into the text itself because that's the job every Sunday is is to trust work, you know, or at labora, work and pray that God the Holy Spirit would move in the hearts of his people such that they would leave changed. Hmm. They would actually do the word because every portion of scripture is given to us in part for instruction, for teaching, for rebuke and training and righteousness that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I mean, it's, it's given for our obedience. So this Sunday in particular, we know if I did a, a good a good job, or if the spirit was at work, you know that's uh, it's not always clear who's doing what in in, <laughs> in the preaching moment. If people left determined to walk as Jesus walked, hmm. 
I woke up this morning at two in the morning with just, a, I don't know, three maybe. And I keep a stack of note cards at all places of my house. I have, I'm a note card freak, but um, turn on the light in the bathroom. You know, my wife's asleep and get out a pencil and say, what's going to make a good week this week? And, you know, kind of trying to set my purposes for this week. Mm. Working hard at walking as Jesus walked. That made my list. So I, I felt persuaded. Mm. And um, I'm trying to I'm trying to live out what I preached. That's <laughs> That's challenging for me to hear. <clears throat> In a good way, you know. To hear that when you when you hear your pastor say that, you're like, ooh, I better <laughs> I better up my game here, you know. Well, I, I have a wife too, and so she she's like, you know, I think one problem with reformed people is they drive a long way to their churches because they want good teaching. <laughs> and I was looking at her and I was like, Whoa. So we're not just a good church if we get good teaching. And this, again, this Sunday of all Sundays, I think, is one in which we need to really Mm -hmm. maybe pay some attention to the tendency to, uh, I think, in the pre-show conversation, Calvin's phrase, frigid intellectualism or frigid scholarship, where we're just learning, but it's cold and lifeless. It It doesn't work itself out in our lives. Right. You... Yeah, well, we can get into that. I guess my question on, on my lips was going to be, is that is that a different kind of knowledge? Is that the knowing God that, that mm. John is talking about? Well, that's, that's a great place to begin. So um, um, one of our members, Sarah Bausch, again, uh, just a, this is a beautiful picture of life in our body, texted her husband a Bible verse from her devos, from Hosea, and it said, um, "I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it out just so I can get the get the writing or the reading correct." She said, "Hosea six three. Let us know. Let us press on to know the the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers." as the spring rains that water the earth. And in my sermon, I mentioned another early morning little uh, moment with God where I'd, I was doing some, some scanning of the Old Testament on this topic of knowing God. And I came up with a handful of verses from Hosea, but I missed that one. Mm-hmm. So Will shared this with me, which is a verse that his wife shared from her devotions with him. And I texted him back and said, Tell her, good job. I, I had missed that. But I, mm. but I did find this one, Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Mm. Hosea is not saying that they don't, you know, know the date of the Passover. Right. Or know what to do for the Feast of Booths. Or know where Jerusalem is. Or to know, you know, why the temple was important. Or maybe the top six sacrifices. Or or who Moses is, or the Shema, but it's 
knowing those things and not and not living them out. So it's a knowledge versus wisdom thing in a way. I think so. Um, when when I when R.C. Sproul taught me justification, I I had him as a as a visiting professor at Westminster West. I think <coughs> it was like a January term. I think it was maybe 1998. But uh, and I'd kn- I'd known this before, but there were some of the reformers probably Luther, but others define knowledge into uh, the notitia, kind of notional uh-huh. knowledge, uh, fiducia, believing, and assentia, assenting. So it's, it's not enough to, to know, you know, even the demons believe and uh, right. get the yeah. willies. So right. um uh, they don't want anything to do with what they believe, <laughs> but they believe. There are no atheists in hell, as the saying goes, or in foxholes. But to know is is not enough for the reformers. It was to believe and to then assent, to wholeheartedly commit yourself to it. Yeah. Well, we could see that pretty clearly in in the text. Right, I'm, I'm going to read read our text from this week. First uh, John 2, starting in verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So, you you put it, I think, very helpfully in the context of tests. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> which actually, Jonathan, two weeks ago, used kind of the same paradigm. I know. I, I hope I wasn't overusing it because I heard his sermon and I thought he was wise to do that. But. No, I think it's helpful. I think it's helpful. And, and I mean, you're just taking what John's given you, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it does, like you read it and you have to ask yourself those questions. You kind of have to, well, which one, am, which one, which one am I, you know, where, where do I fall it's true. into this? It's true. <clears throat> Um, but they're hard, it's a hard test, you know, it's a hard kind of like, that's what I kind of let off the conversation today going, man, sometimes John just brings it a little bit and it's a slightly uncomfortable because he's a little blunt or, or perce- in my perception of him, you know, a little blunt or, you know, whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and mm-hmm. the truth is not in him. Like there's no mincing words there. Um, which makes me slightly uncomfortable. I think maybe that speaks a lot about about me as a human being, um, not wanting to to have that spotlight shined on me and and kind of really see my flaws and imperfections. Um, but nevertheless, the the it's a legitimate test. This isn't John being unfair or making something up. Like he's not the professor who's stacking the deck and making a test that is on material that wasn't covered. True. Right? Or something like that. Um, 
And that's why I had also mentioned that I thought it was a challenge for you as the preacher to have preached last week's sermon a week different than this week, because to me, when you're reading it, you come right out of Jesus is our propitiation and our advocate into this, and like, okay, you know, I feel a little bit better about what John's saying to me now. Um, but nevertheless, it's it's a hard it's a hard test for sure. And, it is. Uh, I think also this is partly how to read John, so it's kind of a half step back to homiletics, but I think it, it's in the context of what we're talking about too. Let's remember, John wants us to remember and to have read his gospel. Mm-hmm. And three through six especially seems to evoke the spirit of the gospel of John. Um, I didn't quote it in the sermon, but John... Well, I, I did, actually. John one eighteen. I said, which is, no one is seen the father at any time but the only begotten of the in the bosom of the father has made him known and i think uh, if if my memory serves me correctly to make him known is is the same word we get for exegete he's explained him hmm. he's revealed him hmm. and then um Um, John seven seventeen. I I didn't quote in the sermon, but if anyone wants to know if I am who I say that I am, let him do what I command. So we're so often thinking I need to believe first, and then I'm going to start following. But Jesus, in that section of his teaching, <clears throat> seems to say that there's a kind of knowledge that can come through obedience. That simply by doing the right thing, we can discover right belief. And so I've taken that, and that, that principle is present elsewhere in the scripture as well. But I've taken that to, to mean, and, and I love, you know, CCEF and kind of the good gospel teaching materials that they have. Mm-hmm. But sometimes there's maybe a tendency in reform circles to start exclusively with the heart. And um, evangelicals won't do anything if we don't feel it. <laughs> um, because then it's Catholic. Um, you know, it's, it, we're so afraid of, of Calvin's phrase, that frigid scholarship, that we have no scholarship <laughs> um, for fear of it becoming frigid scholarship. And... Um, you know, a, a, a little cooler temperature in some of our religion might might do us well. Just do what Jesus said. Stop thinking about it. Just do what the Lord said. Walk as he walked. And you might discover that there's truth there that you couldn't access from your current position of unbelief and waiting for belief. Mm-hmm. Um, easier to steer a moving car than one that's parked. Right. So the CCEF critique is we don't always go inside out. Sometimes we go outside in. And if, if, if we run the risk of behaviorism on, the, on that approach, we run the risk of uh, Gnosticism or quietism or, I don't know, emotionalism, you know, some, some other ism on the other way. If you're just <laughs> waiting to, to feel like going to church, 
<laughs> right. Right. Well, and if you start doing, if you start walking um, as Jesus walked, then you're going to, like, that's scholarship in a different way. It, it certainly is. In fact, a, a more important way than I, I think so. systematic theology or, or something along those lines. So um, I've always loved this phrase. I learned it in college. I, I'm sure someone said it to me who took it from someone else who took it from someone else, but um, kind of falling forward. Mm-hmm. So don't wait so you don't fall, you know. Just start going in the right direction. Even if you trip and fall, you eventually you will cross the finish line. Even if you fell a million times, as long as you fell a million times in the right direction, you're going to mm. cross the finish line. Mm. Um, it ain't going to be pretty, there. right? It's not going to be pretty, but um, I was reminded of that. Um, <clears throat> Calvin, kind of in his in in the Institutes when he starts talking about the Christian life and imitating Christ, he talks about. Um, we stammer and we stagger and we fall and we trip. Hmm. But as long as we're making progress is even as small as it is. And even though we hate that it's really, really small, it doesn't, it does not um, equate to what our desires are, even our own desires. True. As long as we're still making forward progress, that's all that kind of God asks of us to do in a way is to be obedient to, walk in holiness to the best of our ability given the gifts that he's given us and he's given us everything we need we're not going to do it perfectly in this life but if you stand there and you don't do anything because you have to contemplate the plan before you take a step then you're never going to make any progress in fact you're you're almost being left in the dust true so this is the kind of wisdom that leads us to tell beginning bible readers if you miss a day don't get caught up just keep, yeah, just keep Just reading. pick up the day where you're at, leave Deuteronomy 14, 15, and 16, and just start at Deuteronomy 17. Yeah. Not just for beginning Bible readers, for any, it, it, any it's, Bible reader. It's a strong strategy <laughs> you know? for any Bible reader. Yeah. yeah. I'm currently like a half a day behind or a day behind in my Bible reading, but my Bible reading gives me two or three days at the end of the month where I can drop those... This stays in there. So it's the same idea though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, that was my last point. My point was abiding in God, uh, uh, continuing in the knowledge of God, the knowledge that you gained when you first believed mm-hmm. in the past that you currently have in the present and that you'll need in the future. That talks about growing in what we know. So do you see, how do you see growth in this text? Am I supposed to give you the answer that you gave us from the pulpit? You, you can. I, I don't remember what I said. I knew a man once. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you highlighted verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments. So that that shows in the words that John chooses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that there is a process there, right? This is in the past, and it happened in the past, and it's still uh-huh. happening now. Uh-huh. So that implies... Movement. A process. And verse 4 is the same, although the ESV suppresses the perfect there I mentioned on Sunday. 
the one who says, I have known him. Mm-hmm. But then who does not keep is... Um, who does not keep his commandments. So keeping commandments, keeping is actually a a participle. Hmm. So I have known him, but who who is not keeping. So it's describing your lifestyle. Yeah, so I have known him, meaning something that has... Something the incident that has happened in the past continues into the, the present, and the keeping is is present and in, in future. Right, K- keeping as my plan for today and tomorrow and the foreseeable future. Right. So there's a hard, you know, as punchy as it is, there's a hardening of the heart that's somewhat hidden there in that accusation of of mm. being a liar. John's not saying you're you're a liar kind of and going to hell like you've lost your salvation if you sin. He's saying it's kind of like it it's a little bit like the sin against the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Hmm. You you can't claim the knowledge of God in the past and in the present but then have a lifestyle of resisting the Holy Spirit's encouragement for you to fall forward into grace and obedience. You can't do that. Hmm. Uh, and in a sense, it's a hypothetical. Does this, does this describe you, Tim? Are <laughs> you a liar? No, Pastor John, I, I am not a liar. I do not want to be a liar. Okay, well then, whenever you keep his word, then God's love is truly made complete in you. So let's get back to basics. Let's get back to keeping the word. Truly, truly the love of God. I think there's a contrast. The truth is not in him. Truly the love of God. So liar, truth, truly. That's how John, that's John's style. Um, remaining, abiding, resting, verse 6. It's a new concept in the passage and in the letter. What echoes do we see of abiding up until now, up in, prior to verse 6, starting all the way back in chapter 1? Do you, do you see any hints? I think fellowship comes to mind um, that we enter into so it's not like a I think a fellowship not like I get together but it's a constant relationship that mm-hmm. we're part of so you're that we're invited into we're kind of grafted into if you will to use another word so I think of that I also think of walking in the light mm-hmm. um, walking being a lifestyle and abiding having that whole life aspect right and he even says abides in him ought to walk in so the walk he, comes he back. connects he connects the two um, but if you're walking in the uh, the reason why my head went there is if you're in the light there's no getting away from the light like you are you know if you, 
if you stand outside on a summer day when there's no clouds, you can't avoid the sun. Mm-hmm. You can't avoid the sun. You know, you're you're in it whether you want to be or not in a way. And that's almost like an an abiding, like you're just unable to be separated mm-hmm. in a way. So more, more positively, it's a bit chilly and cloudy today. But if there were a patch of sun on the porch right. that we could guarantee would be there for an hour and a half, we'd the do dog, our podcast. The dog will find it. <laughs> yeah, the dog would find it. And then we would do our podcast in that patch of sun. We'd rest in that. Mm-hmm. Like we'd, we'd move into it. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, it is a, it's a pleasant thought to move into the light of God in, in that sense. It is a place of warmth and brightness in, in a chilly and overcast world. Mm. And I think there's something to that, too, because keeping commandments and keeping his word, to my point, sometimes, particularly for children, I think seems very obligatory and um, like burdensome. But Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, by the way, that, that passage is Matthew 11. Yep. Um, didn't make the cut, but Jesus says, no one has seen the Father at any time. Um, I think that's, read 25, yeah, 11.25 or so. Yeah, it is starting at 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and you revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son has made him known. chosen to reveal yeah. him. And then it's come that, to that me. That sounds very Johannine. Yeah. It does. The knowledge of God in the hands of the Son. Um, I, I, it's like the high priestly prayer. It is. It is. John seventeen three. This is eternal life to know you, the one true God, and your, and Jesus Christ, the one you have sent. So, um, I didn't talk about the concealing qualities hmm. of revelation, but um, we did chat about how hard it how how remarkable it is that we know anything about god like he's he's revealed himself Mm. and i think i did mention the incarnation that this is how we know god is that jesus is the second person of the trinity clothed in human flesh and we know him and that's where philip had it all wrong right 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 (laughs) that verse gets me every time (laughs) I mean, at least I don't have a whole book of the Bible named after me, Tim. <laughs> like, you're really hemmed in. This is, uh, yeah. Like, y- you want to give your kid a, a religious complex, name him Timothy, and give, he has the job for the rest of his life trying to live up to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, there's other names that, that would have an even steeper, uh, steeper curve. Steeper hill to climb. Okay, Moses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, David. Or, or, sure. You know, I'll we have stick. A couple of Elijahs at church. Yeah, so. I, I get like two lines in the holy book, and I'll stick with that. Although, 
Philip had four daughters and all of them prophesied. There is that Philip too. Mm. <laughs> and mine do regularly reminding me the way of the Lord yes. that I should walk in it. <laughs> <laughs> As if John's words weren't enough, right? Right. What it, can, can we spend one second, Phil, and, and talk about in verse five, the love of God. You you um, translated it, I think, as is made per, or made complete. ESV uh-huh. says is perfected. Mm-hmm. So, can we just kind of rest there for a minute? Because I don't think we we I don't know if you hit that specifically. Um, in yes, your, in your sermon. But what is that? What is John talking about there? In that it's perfect. His that God's love is perfected. So, um, verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, present tense, logos, in him truly the love of God has been made complete. So, um, has been perfected. So when you keep his word, that's what it's like to fully experience God's love for you and to fully express your love for God. Hmm. It does not mean that you can get to a point in your life where that is the steady state of affairs and you no longer sin. But that uh, insidious uh, perfectionism has been imported into this text by some. Hmm. Um, In in fairness to John Wesley, um, a a truly godly man, he, and, and I'm not a historian here, but I have read some of his works and I grew up in the Methodist church um uh Wesley would talk about no known sin. Okay. So he would kind of buffer the perfection somewhat. But I was in a number of debates in college with really um extreme perfectionists, even beyond a Wesleyan perfectionism, that strove with all their might to never sin. And they were not fun people to be around. Mm. Um, I admire, I admire, still admire their, their zeal and wonder if, if I have, um, you know, you don't want your theology to give you an excuse for not glorifying God, maximally glorifying God. So, but neither do you want to um, allow a sensitive conscience to distort the scriptures either. Hmm. So I, th- I think it's describing if you start with the love of God rather than keeping his word, maybe we could say this is what God's love, this is what abiding in God is supposed to look like, commandment keeping. And when you do that, that's the fullest expression of both 
showing love for God and receiving love from God. That's a mature, full, ripe, complete, perfect experience of God's love. But the next verse, the one who says, um, that's the previous verse. Oh, I'm sorry, but verse six. Oh yeah, whoever says he yeah he the, abides in him. The one who says, yeah. uh, I it's it's in the third person, but it's basically say if you say. I abide in him, I'm remaining in him, then this is what you ought to do. So if the love of God is made complete in verse 5 in the sense of total final perfection, why do we have a verse 6? Right. He could just finish his thought. So no, it, it, and, and that's not even bringing in, which I mentioned briefly in the sermon, the fact that we've already been told that we're liars if we say that we have no sin. So that's kind of the slightly larger context that proves that utter perfection is impossible. But let's not let the the softening of the the use of the perfection concept in verse five take away the challenge that is presented to us in verse six, which is your your life really needs to look like Christ. And I, I gave some examples of that on Sunday. Hmm. So what what did you get from that, or how did you how do you? Um, it's um, what's your feedback there? Yes. So I understanding that to me is of paramount importance because it it's the it's the gospel it's really the gospel there because mm-hmm. it's not going back to a test. Don't just do the minimum, right? Don't just go for the passing grade. Um, but your A plus is in Christ, not in you. So you, but you need to you need to try here. And the more that you try, the more blessing you're going to receive in a way. I, I see that. Not because yeah. of we earned it, but because that's it's the nature of our relationship right. with God. Is that God's love desires i mean the reason he showed us the love in the first place is he desires us to be commandment keepers word keepers that's why it's perfected in us when we do it because that's the purpose for which he sent his son right yeah yeah i mean john is is abundantly clear from the beginning of the letter up to this point that he doesn't want us to, to sin, right? Like he says it multiple times, even at the beginning of the true, my little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. Mm-hmm. So there is a kind of an active, um, there's an urging here for us to be active in, in being law keepers, in walking as, as we ought to walk following Christ in the way he walked. But at the same time, he's just as quick to say, but if you do sin, if anyone does sin, we looked at that last week, you know, um, Christ is our advocate and our propitiation. Or 
uh, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive mm-hmm. us. So it's this like, almost like a back, it's like a ping pong match, you know, back and forth. Like, don't sin, but if you do, you know, there's there's grace here in Christ. But don't, don't like not try. I, I don't know how to put this in my own words, but I feel like I'm kind of going back and forth in that verse that we lingered on there for a second, that the love of God would be made complete or perfected to me is kind of the middle, like mm-hmm. the balancing weight in between those two mm-hmm. ideas, because it's, um, that's where the, we see this kind of complete enveloping fellowship come into play when we're doing as we ought to do, but it's not of our own strength necessarily to do, to do that. Uh, Maybe you have a better way to explain it. No, but. that's it's good. I'm just my my mind is ranging to controversial commandments that Christians don't keep. <laughs> okay. So, you know, um, wives submit to your husbands mm-hmm. as unto the Lord. Um, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. Children obey your parents. For this is right. Um, honor the Sabbath day. I was just going to say right? that one. Yeah. And and I mentioned, I mentioned a handful of commandments. I actually mentioned all ten commandments in the sermon. It's sort of like you pick. You know, thou shalt not commit adultery. So, maybe part of the problem with our church or with the PCA or evangelicals, broadly speaking, is that we're not experiencing the love of God the way that we should. Our, our religion isn't worth the paper it's printed on because we're not seriously keeping the commandments. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of limping along. You know, our families. Um, I mentioned the sin behind the sin. Mm-hmm. I think we also do battle with surface sins. And this is especially prevalent in relationships like marriage. So, oh, I'll just submit or I'll do this or I'll, I'll do that. Or I won't, I won't raise my voice or I won't cuss or I won't slam a door or I won't walk out or, you know. Um, that's not enough. That's, that's not the kind of word keeping that perfects the love of God. Because it's not based on the knowledge of God. We, we read in uh, Hosea, my people perish for lack of knowledge. I think marriages are dying because people aren't in relationship with God. They're not vitally abiding in Christ, mm-hmm. in God through Christ. And so they're not able to keep God's word. And we're living, we're just all over the map, Tim. Yeah. So... My heart is heavy, I think, in terms of some specific areas of obedience culturally. I mean, LGBTQ and like, you're fine the way you are, you know, no one's going to tell you that you're wrong. Um, I've been told, I've been accused of, of, you know, hating gays and, and I, I don't, um, God, God doesn't, I don't, but 
God hates sin, and there is no there is no love of God for people that will not keep His commandments. Mm-hmm. And that starts with me and, and every other deviant that's out there. So, you know, culturally, I think there's a, a, people are perishing for lack of knowledge of God, and I think in the church and in families, pastors. So I, I liked I liked your point, that balancing point. Verse five, I think, is maybe an untapped heartbeat of our Christian experience. Just yeah. h- highlighting the importance of yeah. keeping God's word. Um, my mind jumped to Psalm one when you were just talking. Mm-hmm. Um, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And um, I, th- I think we're all too comfortable being fruit staplers, meaning we're trees that are not tapping in mm. to that living water. Yeah. We barely are getting a drop, but we hide it by taking good fruit elsewhere and stapling it onto our branches and then it withers and we just it's not growing from us. We're kind of stealing it, if you will, mm-hmm. to hide the death and the decay that exists there. And I'm I'm over being overly dramatic here, but um, I do think that's true often, especially in in churches, you know, in, in groups of believers where we don't want to admit when we're sinning, we don't want to confess our sins, we don't want to get called out. So we do a lot of surface stuff to be good, to act good, to do the quote-unquote right thing, but we're not I loved you you mentioned this, I think, when you're talking about devotions with Polly and just kind of letting the light of God kind of seep down below the surface. Yeah. And I love that imagery because I'm like, oh, man, I struggle with that. You know, yeah. I, I do not, I don't like it. You know, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's sometimes awkward. <laughs> It's, it can be embarrassing, you mm-hmm. know, all these things. It's the vulnerability that kind of gets drawn out to the surface. But that's what we need. We need to be planted by streams of living water. Right. And, and that means I have to love the law of the Lord. And the law is hard. I don't keep the law perfectly. I don't, you know, if I'm honest, I don't keep those commandments. So, and this is all kind of wrapped up in, in the whole the, the whole of John's text here with the cyclical nature, but um, yeah, it's, it's a, it is a problem. It is a problem in our lives. Personally, it's a problem in, in our church. It's a problem in big C church. And I think that going back to, you know, the oomph of your, your sermon and knowing God and having fellowship with him, I don't, 
I don't know what it is, Phil. It's almost like we get distracted and we don't realize just how amazing and important. It's vital. And I mean that by the truest definition of the word. It's vital mm-hmm. to our lives. And I think we downplay that. Um, we, we don't think it's as... It's not even life-giving. It's like we need we need that. Apart from that, we have no life. And... Uh, and I think we try to avoid that because it means that we have to admit <laughs> we have to admit that uh, we're not nearly as good as we'd like other people to think that we are. We'd have to work hard, um, you know. And I think for me, I'm lazy. Um, I'm conceited. I'm prideful. And uh, I want to be served. You know, and those things all get in the way of my relationship with with God. You know, they suck the life out of me. So my sermon title, and I didn't get to this, I didn't actually want to get to this because I feel like the book's somewhat dated at this point, but it's still an excellent book, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Mm-hmm. And at some point weeks ago I said I've got a this sermon has to be called knowing God and I don't really care what the text says that's my sermon title (laughs) I'm gonna make it fit doggone it so how'd I do I mean I I think I think it is I I think I tapped I think I I struck the chord I I hope I did at least an important chord in that text but um uh, Packer. You didn't quote Packer, did huh? you? No, I didn't. You did not quote Packer. No, I didn't. Yeah. And that, that was on purpose because what once I... on the nose. Or huh? A little too on the nose. Yeah. And once I started quoting Packer, I'm like, just, I'm not even going to preach. Just read this book, okay? <laughs> um, but he opens, he opens his book, chapter one, The Study of God, by quoting a Spurgeon sermon from January 7th, 1855. It has been said by someone, this is the quote, that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy, which can ever engage the attention of a child of God, is the name, nature, person, work, doings, and existence of the great God whom he calls Father. Hmm. That's theology. But it has to work itself out into the way that we live. Otherwise, (coughs) people are just driving to our church because there's good teaching, but they're driving home the same. Hmm. That's the the life that, that brings the dry bones back to life. Yes, Ezekiel 37, which is spoken to an exiled people, telling them that their separation from God in the land is not permanent, but he's going to reconstitute them as a people, not even northern and southern kingdom, but one people of God um, in a new land, which he's quite vague about, but which we get a pretty heavenly portrayal of in Ezekiel 47. So 
the resurrection imagery of Ezekiel 37 is is um, it, it, it it makes the point that only God can can give us the life that we need we, we can't get it ourselves right and the exiles in in Babylon were having trouble reconciling themselves to that fact they were still keeping up correspondence with the mother country and it's like hey we're praying for you there's still hope here we, we've got some plans and God's like no this has to be a sovereign act of reconstitution that's how bad the sin was that's how great the problem is and that's th- that has to be yeah my my, my head went there Phil because it's almost like if we don't strive to keep God's commandments we're just dead bodies I see that are hearing knowledge right but we're still dead right in a way like there's no fruit there's we're not tapped into that living water that mm-hmm. I was talking about in Psalm 1 mm-hmm. um, so maybe that's the new heart image too in Ezekiel 36 removing the heart of stone mm-hmm. Same idea, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, God's word is is powerful. I mean, you, you quoted from Timothy already. So it's God's work in us. It's not us, like, pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps here. So let the listener <laughs> understand or, or not misunderstand what I'm saying. But if if we're content to show up to church on Sunday and hear teaching and go home and do nothing about that in our lives. And you, you, you kind of mentioned this in the sermon, you know, just kind of live whatever life you want to live. You're, you're dead. You know, it doesn't matter what you hear. It doesn't mean that God can't do a work in you, but when he does a work in you, that means it's unto life into fellowship. And if you're, if, if you're walking in the, the light there there is no darkness so that that goes by the way it has to like you have to be moving forward by the work of the spirit in your life so for if you're fighting against that then mm-hmm. you know you got some questions i mean these this is the test right this is, this, this yeah. is the test this John text this text us. um has some has some things to say to that for sure yeah i i, I can um, just a quick aside, personal, personal anecdote. I remember <clears throat> when, um, when I was born again, and I can remember having the thoughts in my head about you're not, you don't keep the law. You like you're not nearly as good as you think you are. Mm-hmm. Point, point proven, Tim. Even when you know you've done wrong. You have no real desire of, or no real heart of remorse for that. Like even in your reckon, in the few moments in your life when you would honestly say, "I was wrong," which is not like me, it doesn't happen often, <clears throat> and happened even less. But even in those moments, everything in my body wanted to come to my own defense and say. No, but this, or no, but this, or even if I was willing to admit my fault or my wrongdoing or my sin, 
um, it was, well, look at how good I am for, for admitting that I'm like, even my repentance is tainted in mm-hmm. a way. And that idea kind of coming into my, you know, God working in my heart and, and helping me understand that was like, oh my, like, what, woe is me. You know, I felt like Isaiah at the moment. Mm-hmm. Woe is me. You know, like, what am I to do? What am I to do here? Like, I, I am completely crushed by a mountain of evidence against me. Um, and if I were to try to ignore that or just go, oh, well, you know, gotcha. I just got to be a better person or I got to do better things that like, it's like a, not even a drop in the ocean. You know what I mean? Like it it amounts to nothing at the end of the day. Which is why it's so helpful in verse five that keeping his word and perfection is tied to the love of God. That's right. And you began to discover, you started a journey when you were born again, that God's love, he desires his love to be made perfect in you, which means Amen. it's about a, a lot more than whether you were right or wrong. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. But not less, because it, it is about whether we're right or wrong, mm. but it's about a lot more than that. Mm. Well, we have we have <laughs> certainly opened a few cans of worms yeah. here. I'm not sure if we've put them uh, all on maybe hooks. Maybe some of the guys can go fishing. Yeah, there you go. We gave them some bait. The, the bait is out there. <laughs> that was, um, uh, I, I, you know, cards on the table. I'm always excited for a new sermon series. This wasn't First John wasn't speaking to me like. Ooh, Ecclesiastes, or, right, right. you know, like, name one of my other favorite books of the Bible. It's like, oh, yeah, that'd be good. You know, I haven't really heard First John preach. I haven't spent a ton of time. But, man, I'm really enjoying um, enjoying our time in First John. So I'm, I'm learning to... Uh, John's growing on me in that, uh-huh. in that regard. <laughs> uh, in, in unplanned and exciting ways. So thank you for the conversation, as always, the coffee, um, and for your preaching, your faithful preaching, even through kind of difficult text. One, just because John is difficult, at least to me, but also difficult to, to say hard things to people, people that you care about, people who, that you do life with. So... Thank you. Thank you for that because it is helping. It's helping us. It's helping us to, um, to set our pace for the week, to go back to your sermon Mm -hmm. from, from last week. And I'd encourage any of our listeners who are members of our church or attend Mercy Hill. Um, you know, one of the commandments we mentioned it today is, to keep the Sabbath holy. And uh, if we're not striving to do that, then we got a, a real big challenge on our hands, you know, because it's going to be really difficult for us to, to do to do anything else when our worship together on Sundays and hearing the word preached is so vital to our health. So let that be an encouragement or, or maybe even a challenge to you. Um, as a, as a listener, I've been challenging myself 
in that regard with the rest, the true rest I'm trying to find on Sunday as opposed to mm, yeah. Tim's version of rest. Um, but anyway, so thank you is what I'm trying to say, Phil. Amen. The lamb is worthy to be praised. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Um, well, we look forward to to being back with you again next week as we continue the conversation. Thanks for all those who've been tuning in and uh, have shared comments with me of you know things that you found helpful. Um, that's real encouraging to to us, and we would love for you to to even be a part of it if you'd like. It's been probably a couple of weeks since I've made this plug, but if you'd like to join us sometime in the coming weeks or months and uh, in studio, we'll, we'll find a time that works for your busy schedule and for ours, and we'd love to have you be part of the conversation. And for those who just enjoy being on the listening end, we appreciate you. Thank you for, for tuning in. Um, you are an encouragement to us and, and this, this ministry, this podcast ministry. So thanks for the opportunity to... Um, to kind of have an audience that would want to hear what we have to say. And thanks to you, Phil, for the conversation again and for your preaching. We'll, uh, we'll be back with you again next week on The Deeper Cut. Mm-hmm.